Take your Bibles, go to Ephesians chapter 4 with me. I love what Lisa just prayed. Um, What today is about is for those of us here this morning who know Jesus Christ, who are in Jesus Christ. It It is God telling us that we are called to live a life that is worthy of the calling that's been given to us. The calling that's been given to us is that invitation from God to us to enter into a relationship with him through the finished work of Jesus Christ. And if you truly understand the cost of that invitation, the depth of that invitation, the the, the overwhelming nature of what you actually deserve versus what you are getting through that invitation, it creates in us a obligation, but in the right way. Not an obligation to earn something, but an obligation coming out of something that has been given to us. And so as Paul has walked through the passage that Dave read for us, as Paul is walking through this passage to, to the Ephesian church, he's, he's trying to remind them, starting in verse 17, that they need to walk worthy, not like the Gentiles. He, he says that clearly in verse 17. You should no longer live as the Gentiles live in the futility of their thoughts. Now when Paul uses the word Gentiles. He's not talking about a specific ethnic group. What he's talking about is a group, anybody, who's outside of Jesus Christ. And so if he tells them to not walk like them, then what we need to understand is, well, how do they walk? What do they live like? And Paul tells us, in the futility of their thoughts, they're darkened in their understanding. They're excluded from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the hardness of their hearts. They're callous, and they've given themselves over to promiscuity for the practice of every kind of impurity with a desire for more and more and more. So so what Paul tells us is these people who are outside of Christ, their lives are marked by living in an ignorance that is is caused by the hardness of their hearts. Just just so that you didn't miss this. He's not talking about a people from the, the, the ancient Near East. He's not talking about a, a people group that exists in that, that, that land mass over there of just above Egypt. He's talking about you. He's talking about me. He's talking about Americans. If there was ever a passage that spoke specifically about the American way of life, I mean, he's referring to it here. But what, he, what we're directed to, if you want to turn over there, you, you, you're more than welcome to, is Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 1 is a picture of, of what Paul is talking about as he describes the way they walk. It's a picture of your common 2022 way of life for the average American citizen. Look, look, at, look at Romans 1. Just let me read a couple things to you. It starts off in, I'll start in verse, um, I'll start in 19. Paul's talking about God. He says, since what can be known about God is evident among them. Why? Because God's already shown it to them. Well, how has God shown it to them? Well, his invisible attributes, his eternal power, his divine nature have been clearly seen since the creation of the world being understood through what he's made. And as a result, people are without excuse. But there's a problem. Verse 21 They did not glorify him as God or show gratitude to him. Instead, their thinking became worthless. Their senseless hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, 
they became fools. Anybody seen that at play this week? All right, let's not go specific. They exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man, birds, four-footed animals, and reptiles. And as a result of living in this state of ignorance, and this state of ignorance does not come just because we're like, oh, I can't see it. Paul says it clearly here in Romans 1. Everybody can see it. This state of ignorance isn't just a, I have a difficulty understanding. No, it comes as a result of a hardened heart. That hardened heart happens as you continue to resist God's wooing, as you continue to resist God's pulling on your soul to draw you into Jesus and show you that Jesus is who he said he was, the way, the truth, and the life, and that no one goes to the Father but through Jesus himself. But as you continue to resist that, and you continue to push against that, as you continue to push against that, there becomes this hardness of heart, and that keeps people from clinging to the God of the universe. And as a result... Our passage in Ephesians tells us they're excluded from the life of God. And they're delivered over to their pursuits. And as, as we read just a few moments ago, their pursuits uh, are, are following after every type of promiscuity for the practice of every kind of impurity with a desire for more and more and more. And the reason for that is because they are calloused, so they can't feel. They're lacking the ability to experience true satisfaction. Have you ever... You ever had like the world's best hamburger? Okay, I want get, my goal is to get you drooling on yourself, okay? Think about the world's best burger. Where was it? Who made it? What made it the best? I mean, just think about that, right? And have you ever like had that on a Wednesday night? And Thursday, you're at work, you're like, all I can think about was that burger. It's amazing. Now, maybe I'm just showing some life problems that I have, but the next day at work, you're just longing for that burger, the perfect seasoning, the perfect char, the perfect smell, the perfect uh, uh, condiments that go with it, and then you're like, I just need a burger, I just need a burger, so you stop at McDonald's on your way home. Sorry, no, no offense, McDonald's employees, we love you, you serve a purpose, but is there anything less satisfying than that McDonald's burger? particularly in that moment when you can remember the best that you had. When we, you, I, the world, lives in rejection of God, we lose the satisfaction of a glorious relationship that can only be found in him. And what we find in its place, no matter what we try to fill it with, is emptiness. We realize in that pursuit that our souls are naked and empty and shame, starving. And you, you, know, you just know you're missing something. And so you're searching for something. And as you search, what you do, because you know that you're missing something, what you end up doing is you cram into that void uh, a cheap substitute.
Paul tells us that these people are doing everything and anything in order to feel again because they have that void. And so they just continue to do it over and over again. They want to feel. They want that satisfaction. And so what ends up happening is they become enslaved to their desires. They, they're craving feelings and they're craving security and they're craving safety and, and satisfaction. And so what they do is they run to alcohol, they run to drugs, they run to success, they run to money, they run to relationships, they run to sex, they, they run to the thought of success or the thought of relationships. They continue to try to force all these things in and at the end of the day they find out the void's still there. This is the Gentile way of life. This is America 101. And what's crazy is it's not new. It's the same, I do not have time for this, that's okay though. It's the same story as Solomon in Ecclesiastes. It's exactly the same thing. He tells us, and actually if you read chapter one of Ecclesiastes, you read it and you're like, Solomon needs a hug. I mean, he is, he is discouraged. Because he's like, man, oh, generation after generation, and the world just ends up being the exact same. The sun, the sun rises and it sets, and then it rises and then it sets, and then it rises, and just over and over again. This is pointless. The rivers, they run to the ocean and empty themselves into the ocean, but the ocean never fills up, and the river never really truly runs empty. The wind, the wind goes north, and then all of a sudden it's going south. How does that happen? Now it's north again, now it's south again. It's just relentless over and over again. Humanity can never really be satisfied. History is repeated time and time again. The characters are different. The concept is the exact same. Now, honestly, we're not living the exact same life that uh, Americans 150 years ago lived. Technology has made that very different. However, we're still on the same empty cycle. We've just learned to run the lap a little faster. People. You don't remember people. I'd use this all the time, so just bear with me. If you remember your grandfather's name, raise your hand. Keep your hand up. Good job. Way to go. If you remember your great-grandfather's name, same side. Keep your hand up. Great-great-grandfather. Okay, see, all of a sudden, there's this. Today's the Super Bowl. Today's the Super Bowl. How many of you remember last year's Super Bowl winner? Okay, how many of you remember the year before that? Year before that? Oh, we'll never forget. It's the greatest game in history. We forget over and over and over again. And Solomon says, this is the life that I'm living. I'm living on a treadmill that never ends. And so he tells us in the book of Ecclesiastes, I'm going to go hard after everything in order to fill that void, in order to overcome that satisfaction. And so, so I'm going to pursue wisdom and ask God to give me wisdom. And there was never a wiser man who has ever lived. And it was poured into him. And what Solomon says is, even with all that wisdom comes difficulty because I can't answer some, even with the greatest mind of God given to me, I can't answer some of the twisted things of creation. And when you're that wise, the first thing you recognize is how much you don't know. So wisdom doesn't fill that void. Pleasure, let's go after pleasure. So he's gonna throw the biggest party ever seen. He, it, and, and Kings, it talks about, he throws a party with enough food for 15 to 20,000 people. I know you think your party tonight for the Super Bowl is pretty big. There ain't enough chicken wings to cover that one. And if you buy them, it's gonna cost you an, more than an arm and leg. It's gonna cost all of our arms and legs. And actually, it costs the chicken its arm and leg. Yeah. yeah. Let's pray and go home. 
Oh, thank you. <laughs> but, but it doesn't matter how big the party was or how amazing it was and how, like, the dance was just, oh, it's amazing. The music was just right and all these people, the right people showed up. We ate ourselves stupid. It doesn't matter because the next day still shows up. So it's not about pleasure. It's not about stuff. I mean, this guy had everything. He had homes. He had gardens. He had flocks. He had money. He had musicians. Not playlists. Musicians. He bought the band. He had women. And what happens when you have all that stuff is it creates problems. But that's not the answer. Ah, America, hard work. That's all. If we just buckle down and do our best, we work hard. Yeah, that's what America's all about. That's the American way. We just work hard, and then, then that brings the satisfaction. And I love what Solomon says in the book of Ecclesiastes. He says, that's awesome. Let's work hard. And then all the results of our hard work get left to somebody else to enjoy. Solomon found that at the end of all of making life about filling that void with what he could None of it could bring that satisfaction. And he uses this phrase, and I love it. It's like chasing the wind. That achievement, whatever it might be, doesn't become the end they hoped it would be, so they need more, they need more, they need more. And that, that treadmill of life just keeps running. And, and on that treadmill, you find a bunch of people trying to find satisfaction in places they will never find it. So how... How do you get off that treadmill? How do you stop living the life that the Gentiles, the average American, lives outside of Christ? How do you remove yourself from that treadmill? Well, there's this awesome story in John chapter 4. Jesus is traveling through Samaria, and he's tired. I love that about Jesus, too. He's tired. So he sits at a well, and the, the boys go to get some food. And this Samaritan woman comes to the well. And at the time of her arrival, she's exchanging sex for rent. She's showing up in the middle of the day because if she went in the morning, she'd probably get beat up because she's one of those ladies. I mean, she's this, this complete social outcast. And she comes to the well that Jesus is sitting there, and, and, and she has the long rope in the bucket, and she lowers it in the well, and Jesus is like, excuse me, excuse me, hey, hey, hey could you get me a, a drink of water? And she's kind of shocked, first of all, he talked to her. She's a woman. Secondly, that he would talk to her. She's a Samaritan. And, and yet Jesus is like, no, no, please, would you give me? And so she lowers the rope and gets the bucket, scoops out some water, and she gives it to him, and he takes a drink. And this is a remarkable thing where it's like just watching the story unfold would be mind-blowing. Because he takes this first drink of water, and he's like, you know the funny thing about water? When you drink it, you get thirsty again. And, and I can't imagine what her face had to be at that moment, kind of like, you don't say. <laughs> but actually, she asked him, so, so can I get you another, can I get you a refill? He says, no, no. You know, people are going to come to this well all day long. In fact, the people who were here this morning are going to need to come back because they're going to be thirsty again. And then he goes with the hook, listen. You drink of the water that I am offering you, you will never thirst again. And she completely misses it. 
And you almost hear a sarcasm in her response. This dude shows up. He doesn't even have a bucket for this deep well, and yet he's got this everlasting water. Oh, oh, please, would you please give me some of that water so I never have to come back? And Jesus reads the sarcasm. As you read through John 4, you see it. Jesus reads the sarcasm. He's like, all right, time for the trump card. He goes, please give me the water so I never have to come back. And Jesus says, cool, why don't you go and tell your husband about it and come on back? And her response is, well, I don't have a husband. Oh, good on you. You told the truth. You've actually had five husbands, and the dude you're living with ain't one of them. And, and, and she's shocked. What Jesus just identified in her is that she has been on the treadmill. She's trying to find satisfaction in relationship after relationship after relationship. And the only satisfaction that she could possibly find is in this water that Jesus is offering. You keep going to relationships, you're going to have to come back over and over again to, to fill that void of satisfaction in you. Jesus says, listen, I'm eternal. And through me, that pang, that emptiness, that lack of satisfaction, and only through me, that pang, that emptiness, that lack of satisfaction can be filled. All those men who have taken advantage of you over the years, all of these, these people who belittle you, all the places that you've tried to fill your soul, and, and all, you, all that's happened is you've ended up broken and, and, and feeling worthless and covered with shame, covered with guilt. It, it, that, that will never happen if you drink of the water that I'm offering you because I will fill that spot. I'm eternal. You come to me and you'll never be thirsty again. So there are many sitting here this morning who are on the treadmill. Some of you are hanging on to it for dear life. Some of you have been on the treadmill for years and yet you just keep running and keep running and keep running because somehow you've got to get somewhere, right? Not on a treadmill. Listen, you have a void because you're broken. You're broken because you're a sinner, just like all of us. But good news, Jesus Christ came to save sinners. He didn't come to condemn any. Jesus didn't light her up at the well like, hey, I know what you are, you're one of those women. Get thee behind me, Satan. Jesus doesn't have to do that, I guess. No, I guess not. <laughs> Instead, Jesus said, no, 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 God loved you so much that he sent me into the world. So if you believe in me, you'll have everlasting life. He didn't send me here to condemn the world, but that the whole world could be saved through me if they put their faith and trust in me. Friend, if you are here and you are on that treadmill, let me beg you, stop trying to find satisfaction where you will never find it. Simply admit with your mouth what your life has demonstrated forever, that you are a sinner who needs a savior, and then call on that glorious name, Jesus. He can save you from your sins. You know how I know? Because even though he took my place on the cross and was crucified, and he was laid in a tomb as any dead man would be, three days later, that tomb was empty, and Jesus was walking around with his disciples. Your debt can be paid if you accept that free gift from Jesus.
All right, that was a lot longer than intended. Hope you don't have lunch plans. All right, so um, Paul, Paul continues, don't, don't walk that American way of life. Don't walk, because you, if you are here and you are in Jesus, you have no excuse to be on that treadmill. There's no reason for you to be, be doing this. So what I want you to do, Paul says, is put off the old self, be renewed, and put on the new self. Pretty easy, right? <laughs> I love this. Just, just stop acting like literally everybody else. Be completely different. Never sin. Be holy, for he is holy. The Lord bless and keep you. Good luck. Right? Simple. Piece of cake. See, what he's doing is he's telling us this is, it's time for you to be sanctified. Let me explain, because I'm going to use that big word, but I want to make sure I explain it. Sanctification is where we live between being rescued by Jesus and being restored fully in heaven with Jesus. It's that space in between. Sanctification is the process in the, the, the life of the follower of Jesus as they learn to live in light of their rescue, in light of their justification, in light of their redemption. It, sanctification is, is understanding that, that Jesus has called you his, and living like it. Sanctification is a slow process. Becoming more and more like Jesus. Every day making better decisions instead of worse decisions. It's a slow process because every part of our life has been affected by sin, and so we've got to work through every single part of it. And actually, sanctification looks different for every person. We all suffer from the same disease, sin. But there's a lot of different symptoms and so there's a lot of work still to do. So, so Paul tells you very clearly that what he wants you to do, look at verse uh, 22, take off your former way of life. Just picture it like taking it off a shirt. Take off your former way of life, your dirty, sweaty, nasty shirt. Take off your former way of life, the old self. It's corrupted by deceitful desires. Then be renewed in the spirit of your minds. Be washed. Think about it this way. Take a shower. Take off that dirty, nasty shirt and be renewed. Take a shower. And then put on the new self. Put on a new, fresh set of clothes. Clean. Spotless. How? How do you do that? I, listen, our world is saturated with sin and temptation. And we aren't very good at a lot of things. But we're really good at sinning. So how? First, bathe in truth. That renewal process means taking the word of God. John 17 tells us the word is truth. Bathe in it. Listen to it taught. Listen to it sung. Sing it yourself. Listen to it being preached, not just by, by this bald dude. Listen to a bunch of people taking the word and preaching the truth to you. Read the word. Study the word. It's one of the surest ways that change is brought. That's one of the surest ways to be renewed. So how? Truth. How? Wise people. In the multitude of counselors, there is wisdom. Iron sharpening iron. Get involved in relationships where people are going to invest in you, pour in you. I love what some of the, the new members said. We're here because we, we not only want to serve, but, but we want to be poured into. Man, that, that's our responsibility as a church family. Pour into one another. Get into a community group. Serve alongside somebody and, and, and listen to the wisdom that comes from them. This one's going to be awkward. 
how do you get sanctified? Well, truth, bathe yourself in truth, surround yourself with wise people, and go through suffering and struggles. How many of you signed up for that class? Oh, okay, good. Um, there is a song, it's one of my favorite songs, written by John Newton, same guy that wrote Amazing Grace. It's, uh, it's called, I Asked the Lord. Um, he says, the song goes like this, I asked the Lord that he would help me to grow. Isn't that what you want? Isn't that what you, I mean, I just want, I just want to be better at this. I just, my greatest desire, I, um, I'm going to share too much. Yesterday, uh, out shopping um, with my wife, ran into a whole mess of you at Target. Must be our new store. We should do a service there next Saturday. But, um, so we're there, and, uh, and, and, and I'm, I'm like picking stuff off the shelf and chucking it in the cart, and she's like, what? I, I don't like that. Oh, no. I was confident you liked that. I just want to make you happy. I can't believe I can't make you happy. I mean, it wasn't that bad, but it was that idea. Don't you just want to make God happy? Lord, would you help me grow? And as the song continues, the, the, the Newton says, but instead of, of you subduing my sin, and instead of you giving me rest, which is what we think growth looks like, right? What you did was with your very own hand aggravated my woe. And because of that, I felt the hidden evils of my heart. God, why would you do that? And in the song, God responds, because that's how I answer prayer for faith and grace. I want to set you free from self, from pride. I don't want you to find satisfaction in anyone or anything else. I want you to find your all in all in me. Because when you find your all in all in me, <laughs> that's growth. Um, too many times, and I'm, I'm working on it. I've confessed this to you. I've confessed this to my family. I've confessed this to God. Uh, too many times I get to the place where I'm like, Lord, why are you doing this? Why did you let me go? What, you, what next? Never pray that. What next? God, what, what are you, I can't believe you, you must, have, and it's like, no, 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 what he's doing is like, oh God, all I've got is you, yes, it doesn't matter how good your day is going, all you've got is God, all you've got is God sounds really negative, but it's the perfect place to be, so how do you grow, you grow through suffering, you go through struggle, how do you employ this? You change. You actively obey. There are things in your life right now, believer, that you know you need to stop doing or things in your life you know you need to start doing. Stop playing games and obey. Not me. The Holy Spirit, as he continues to tug on your heart and say, this, this right here, and the bittersweet finger of the Holy Spirit when he points at your life like that right there. Right there. And it's not like he's just jumping like, this right here, oh, it's a blemish. No, he's like, that one right there. And yet somehow because if we're not careful, we're going to walk like Gentiles and become callous in ourselves. And we're going to, all of a sudden, we don't even feel it. Obey. You are 100% responsible to obey what he's called you to do. You're also 100% dependent on him to obey what he's called you to do. That's the beauty of, oh man, I really don't have time for this. Philippians chapter two, 
uh, verse 12. Therefore, my dear friends, just as you've always obeyed, now not only in my presence, even more in my absence, that's like a parent's verse, right? When I'm standing here, you're obeying. Now I'm leaving. You still need to obey, even when I'm gone. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who is working in you both to will and to work according to his good pleasure. God is, is working in you to accomplish the obedience that he has called you to. But what if I fail? Right? It's an awful question. Because you will fail. This is a process that's to be engaged in over a lifetime. And success in sanctification doesn't look like perfection. Because then you just lied and you're no longer sanctified. Success in sanctification looks like progressive, small steps, getting better and better, persistent progress. And I know, man, <laughs> we love, we love when it all goes perfectly, when you can see huge gains and, and change happen right before your eyes. So we've been doing some renovations in the house, and this week was painting week, my favorite. So we're painting, and one of the most frustrating things in the entire world is to paint an almost white wall with a second coat. Because you're like, I got nothing. I, Honey, I'm done. <laughs> that didn't happen. She never left the room because she didn't trust me. But we, we, we want that. We want, I have a friend, we'll call him Kermit, who's uh, working out. And Kermit has been told that he's not going to see gains for a long time. But that's not how we want to work out, right? We want to go to the gym and be like, Roar! that's not how it works. It takes time. And here's hard, the hard part. Because it takes time, we don't necessarily see the big splashy changes that are immediately noticeable. Do you have a door jam at home or maybe a wall with pencil marks on it from your kids growing? I looked at ours yesterday. And actually, there's one funny part. is my, um, Because it's an old house, some of the doors are, well, all the doors are different heights, so that's fun. Um, one of them is actually like here, which is not good. But um, Jordan, um, as you know, my son Jordan, he's like 6'4", six, 6'5". Six, um, so the door jam that we have all the kids' heights marked on, it's just up at the top above you. are like, Jordan, because <laughs> he outgrew the door jam. But he didn't do it overnight. You can look at the marks. Like, so looking at Audrey's marks, it's like, oh, there was a, a six-month period of time she grew an inch. It's like, oh. And then there's a three-month period of time. She grew four inches, and then another year, and she's still the same height. And you're like, oh, I just want to grow. Well, you don't necessarily notice it until you come back. This morning, we were talking about Jackson Andrews up here playing guitar, and then all of a sudden, you look at it, and it's like, the dude is like looking me in the eye all of a sudden. You don't notice it because it's a steady, progressive, slow growth over time. Hey, keep going. But I feel like such a failure. I thought, I hoped, I dreamed that Jesus would just give me the superpowers and I'd be done. And, and when many of us fail, my tendency can be to give up. It's like, oh, whatever, I'm done. Another tendency is to just become a raging legalist because then you can keep score and you can tell if God's happy with you or not in that moment. Problem is, is that usually with our legalism, we come up with a list and a definition based on our culture's morals. And so God ends up, and that list ends up looking a lot like the things we don't like and the things we do like. And then instead of using it to judge ourselves, we tend to judge other people with it. But, but actually, in the face of failure, instead of giving up or becoming a raging legalist, what we need to do is just wash again in the gospel, 
when we fail. Put off our sin, be renewed, put on the new identity. Some of us get this intense feeling of failure. And, and, and I gotta be careful, so please understand the balance I'm trying to strike here. Sometimes that intense feeling of failure is a growing awareness of your sin and a growing frustration of the ugliness and cost of your sin. Can I tell you this? If you are frustrated in your growth in Jesus Christ, that's something to be celebrated. Because there is no one who is committed to, to, to the sanctification process of becoming like Jesus. Uh, no one who's longing to make Jesus happy is, is, is delighted when they sin. Your frustration is an evidence of Jesus' presence inside of you. In sanctification, the more you gaze at Jesus, the more your desire grows to be like him, the more you make it your aim to be pleasing to him, the more you're going to be aware of what's out of line. That's why Paul was able to continue to call himself the chief of sinners. He called, doesn't that make you mad when you read that? Chief of sinners, the apostle Paul, great. What am I? Well, the reason Paul was able to and continued to go back to that is because in his mind's eye, he had his focus on Jesus and only Jesus, and that made him understand how much grace he actually needed day in and day out. So with all that being said, put off, renew, be sanctified, put on. Now, next week, there's going to be some specific applications as Paul continues in this passage. That'll be dealt with. It's going to be applied specifically, but, but let me close with this picture for you, okay? You enter the courtroom of God after a long time on the run. I don't know all of your pasts. I don't know all of your warts and wrinkles. I know some of my own. I'm going to change some names and situations to protect the innocent, including myself. There's a period of time in my life where seeing police was not good news at all, particularly <laughs> when I was driving a car at age 12. That's a story for a different time. <laughs> but you're brought into the, the courtroom of God after being chased by police. You've rightly been arrested for the crimes that you have committed. You're being placed on trial. Your penalty's been paid by somebody else, somebody who is totally innocent, who wasn't involved at all, who is purely innocent. And, and, and now what they do is they come into the courtroom, they take your guilty sentence, they take your punishment. And before you can even say anything... The gavel bangs, and, and, and they're being led away to, to, to face the consequences of your sin. And now you are free to go. Your record expunged, completely clear. You have nothing to fear. You don't have to continue to look over your shoulders for, for the police. You don't ever have to be worried about being arrested for your crime again. Sanctification is you leaving that courtroom where God has once and for all declared you righteous and learning to no longer look over your shoulder for the police. It's leaving that courtroom and starting a life that aligns with the freedom and innocence that's been given to you. It's walking out of that courtroom a child of God, a righteous, get this, saint. Put off, be renewed, put on. You can, it's possible, it's more than possible, it's commanded. So now, pursue growth. Pursue growth. And understand this. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. 
that should motivate us and keep us going even in the face of the tension that exists in our sanctification process. What God has called you and I to do is to live according to our new name. If you are in Jesus Christ, you have a new name. It has been written in the books of heaven and it will never be erased. Your identity is child of God. Live like it's true. Father, thank you for the goodness that you have given to us in your son, Jesus Christ. Thank you that we can know him and be known by him. Thank you that because of his finished work on the cross, we have a celebration that, 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 that we get to enjoy, knowing that even though we are wretched and lost and sinners, that in your eyes we are washed and clean and free. Thank you, Father, that, that we already have perfection on our account, not because we had a great day or a great week, but because we have a great Savior. We have a Savior who has given us his righteousness, his perfection, and so we will forever live free. God, I pray that you would be with the people who are sitting in this room right now. May we commit to being obedient to what you have called us to. May we live lives that match, that align with this new name that you have given to us. Father, I beg that we would be a people, not a place, a people, who act like Jesus gave us everything. For it's in his matchless name I pray. Amen.